Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And in this one, we'll hit on the Texans' second week, or maybe you can call them the second wave free agent pickups. And Sean, you ranked your faves from the first week. Can you do the same with this group? Let's let's do it for this group of free agents. Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty easy uh, for this uh, round of five, if you will, that uh, Nick Casario continued to cook on, uh, like Laramie Tunsil mentioned the other day in his press conference. The first for me, the most important, and I think could be the most impactful um, at season's end is Dalton Schultz, their tight end, the one they got from the Dallas Cowboys. Just 26 years old, former fourth-round pick. They get him on another uh, one-year deal, just under $10 million. Just look at the stats. Over the course of the last three seasons, he's amongst the top, uh, amongst the very best tight end statistically in yards, touchdowns, catches, catch percentage. I mean, you name it, the pertinent stats that apply to a pass catcher and Let's not forget about this. The versatility is what is also important here, specifically with the system that Bobby Slowick is bringing to the Houston Texans. They needed a blocking tight end, but they also needed somebody that could be a really good pass catcher and a threat offensively for whomever is going to be throwing him the football this upcoming season. You know, Tegan Quatoriano is a really intriguing piece here, and I'm anxious to get those guys in the locker room and on the practice field together because if healthy, Tegan Quatoriano can be a really good guy too to spell Dalton Schultz in some packages. He showed a burst, quickness, catchability, ability to get through contact, and as a young player entering his second year, I'm really excited to see him uh, learn what he can from Dalton Schultz, who's obviously played with a very good quarterback and a pretty good offensive system. So I think that's number one. Number two for me. Well, hold on. Let me get, get let me respond to Dalton Schultz because I, oh, yeah. I got some stuff for you on that for sure. Because first of all, we got to talk about the fact that this is the best tight end that the Texans have had since Owen Daniels, which means he's yeah. already one of the top two tight ends in Texans history. If not number one, he's, one of four tight ends with at least 50 catches and 500 yards in each of the past three seasons. In the past three seasons, he ranks seventh among tight ends in receiving yards, fourth in catches, and Sean, fifth in touchdown. Yeah. In touchdowns. Yeah. Just a good, good, good. I mean, potentially the best signing of, of the entire lot for this I, I fully agree. You know, outside, maybe next to Sheldon Rankins. Um, you know, Dalton Schultz is an easy number two um, for me. You know, you got me thinking about like all time great Texan tight ends. You could probably name them on uh, one hand for sure. And you may, may only need three fingers. Let's go Owen Daniels. Let's go Dalton Schultz already, who hadn't even played it down for the Texans. And then I'm going to throw Billy Miller in there because he scored the first Texans <laughs> touchdown. Outside of that, you know who should have been up there. And I really thought he was because outside of Daniel Manning and Jonathan Joseph, I thought it was the biggest acquisition made by the Texans organization and really the first at a point in time in the middle of a season in which they look to be making a playoff push. The signing of Demarius Thomas a handful of years ago, the late Demarius Thomas, unfortunately, he could have been a really, really big time weapon for the Texans, but unfortunately never kind of seemed to figure out his role or they didn't figure him out and what his role could have been. More of a wide receiver, I think. I mean, that's what he was always listed as, but he was a big guy, looked like a tight end. 
Yeah, he looked like a tight end. Yeah, you're right. I guess he was, right? But my number two, I think, you know, is huge here. You know, they just signed Mike Boone about a week, week and a half ago uh, to pair with Damian Pierce in the backfield. And it was a ho-hum signing. And it still is. But I think Devin Singletary is my clear-cut number two because he is a legitimate complimentary piece to Damian Pierce. The complete opposite of what you get from Damian, who is tough, physical, pound the rock in your face, will just blow right through you. This guy, Devin Singletary, he's quick, he's elusive, you know, complete change of pace back. The numbers prove it out over the course of his, you know, brief career so far, three, four years in the league. He's never averaged less than 4.4 yards per carry in a season. I think that's huge. I think the big playability. And I also think as a pass catcher, you know, now the Texans have you know, three legitimate options in the backfield, guys that can catch the ball, that have good hands. We saw it from Damian Pierce's rookie season. We know Mike Boone can do it. He had 34 catches last season. And Devin Singletary is clearly a guy who can make some things happen uh, out of the backfield as well. So I think that's my easy number two. I agree 100%. You summed up pretty much everything that I had. I will also mention he averaged 4.6 yards per carry in his four seasons. I mean, just yeah, it's geez. incredible numbers for somebody that you're picking up as a second wave free agent. You said it, perfect compliment to Damian Pierce. There's just nothing to hate about it. You, you got to love this move. Yeah, uh, I love it. And I really love this next one. You know, I kind of went back and forth, like, is this really my number three? You know, should I go a different position here? But there's so many question marks. I just like, we talked about this the last show, I think. You know, you missed the guy that uh, the, the Bears got at linebacker uh, last week when the first wave of free agency hit uh, uh, Edmonds, right? And you got that big deal with the Bears. I thought linebacker was a huge position of need, and the Texans met it a couple of times. My number three is Denzel Perryman. You know, he plays middle linebacker. Um, and I'll tell you here in just a few moments, you know, who I thought I might slot there at number three. But Perryman, you know, he's 30 years old, former pro bowler, second round pick in 2015. This is going to be a guy who comes in immediately and makes everybody better around him because of the leadership capabilities, because, you know, the sure tackling ability. And look, I, I know, you know, his Pro Bowl nod was in 2021. It's not too far off. And he plays, you know, the same position as Christian Kirksey. His days are probably numbered. I don't know when, but they should be numbered. And I like Christian Kirksey, but it just makes sense that you get a more impactful veteran that is more probably familiar with the scheme that the Texans are going to run under Matt Burke and D'Amico Ryans defensively. But then, two, Kirksey, if you cut him, I'd read where you're going to save just over $5 million in cap space, and you're going to owe him the million guaranteed. It just makes perfect sense, and congruent with you know the deal that you signed Perryman on, another one-year deal, I believe it was, worth just under $4 million. It's a great get for the Texans. Yeah, once again, we agree. Biggest fear for me is his three injuries last year that caused him yeah. to miss time, which is doubly concerning as he turns 31 years old, obviously, in the NFL. That's ancient. If he's healthy, definitely an upgrade over Christian Kirksey. He graded out considerably better last year than Kirksey on pro football focus, 76 compared to 56. So, yeah, we agree on this one for sure. Awesome. Uh, you know, for my number four, I've got another linebacker, uh, Corey Littleton. He's 29. I don't know when he's going to get on the wrong side of 30, probably pretty soon before the season. But he gets another one-year deal, just under $3 million, played with the Panthers last season, spent his first four with the Rams, was a pro bowler, went to a Super Bowl. So he's got that pedigree, that sort of Super Bowl experience. 
uh, what it's going to take to be a pro. And there's a lot of young guys on this Texans roster, and there's going to be a whole bunch more post-draft. So, you know, I think it's really big. A guy that's been around the league a little bit, that's still, you know, fairly young at the position, that could obviously offer experience, knowledge, and you know, teach these young guys how to come along. And that's really, again, what it's all about. But you're also getting quality guys in at key positions this year versus what you tried to do last offseason, which is, you know, get some cornerstone pieces, some veterans, and help bring the young guys along and establish a culture amongst the players. There was obviously a big difference between the players and what that regime last year with Lovey Smith, what Smith was trying to do. So I like Littleton in that regard. And you know what? Like, Hey, he's kind of been there, done that. He's a pro bowler. He knows what it takes. And again, a pros pro. That's what I'm hearing in regard to Corey Littleton. So I think you can't have enough of those guys in the locker room, especially when you're continuing to retool, rebuild like the Texans are. Mostly, I think a special teams move. He spent 60 percent. Yeah. Yeah, 60-something percent of his snaps on, uh, snaps on special teams and 30-something percent as a linebacker. He hasn't been a quality starter in a few years. He's another guy that may be a borderline roster cut, depending on who they draft. But you have to have these guys in place. Sean, we talked about this. The biggest thing that Nick Casario is doing is making it to where he doesn't have to panic in the draft. And I, I'm yeah. going to talk about that more on your number five guy because I know that I know who that is and he's coming right up yeah I just wanted to make one more point because you did remind me and remind me about Littleton being a special teams ace I, I think about um uh, uh Cashman you know in that regard like this is how you know Cashman his first three years he couldn't stay healthy worth a lick in the NFL and he comes to the Texans you know after the Jets where he was a special teams ace up there and then he's terrific here earns a one-year deal from the Texans goes completely under the radar. I mean, he was listed amongst the free agents when the offseason started. I was like, no, he just signed his deal like five months ago. <laughs> like, it's been happening. He's been locked up for about two million bucks, I think it was, on Cashman's deal. And this is the way Littleton earned his spot. I mean, he ended up getting a pretty good contract. I believe it was from the Raiders, who eventually cut him before the Panthers picked him up last year. He played two years under a really good contract and made a Pro Bowl. And so it was his ability to play special teams that earned him the opportunity to play linebacker. And that's kind of what I think Blake Cashman is obviously hoping what his future holds for him, but we'll see if anything else you mentioned, maybe he's a bubble guy, you know, that could be cut. Hey, not if he's a boss on special teams, because you know, Frank Ross needs some dudes there and what he can do with some great athletes on one of the top units in the entire league last year. Yeah. So my number five, uh, the center position. And because it is center, I was really considering moving it to my number three, but I just don't really know, you know, what to expect from Michael Dieter. He played center for the Dolphins last year, third round pick in 19, obviously still very young. He's here on a one-year deal. As of right now, he's going to compete directly with Scott Questenberry, and presumably the Texans are going to bring another center in via the draft. I don't know if it's going to be the second round, third round, fourth round, wherever. There's going to be another dude or two in-house. Now, Dieter, what you like about that is – the fact that he's a veteran and he's kind of been there, done that before. He's also versatile. He could play a little bit of guard too. So maybe highly doubtful that he pushes Shaq Mason, who I think in my opinion, you know, is a, a premier right guard in this league. But if anything else, the fact that he is so versatile talking about Michael Dieter now 
is he could really help just like Tunsil's helped, you know, bring along Kenyon Green. He could really help Green in his development too. another good, smart, young guy that's kind of been around to help some of the younger players, um, you know, take their game to the next level. And one word, Dieter, uninspired. That's what I would call it. I continue to be disappointed that they've missed out on all the good veteran centers. It's one position I think they box themselves into a corner where they have to draft somebody. This is a guy that, you know, he's, he hasn't played a whole lot and you don't know a whole lot about it. And it, and it just feels like if he was good, he'd been playing by now on a regular basis and get, get a lot more playing time, whether it's injuries that have precluded that or just the fact that he's just not good enough. But I'd assume likely third or fourth round where they've got to take a center and probably third, that, that first pick in the third round. I'm going to say that's where it's going to happen. And some center prospects in that range, Sean, are Michigan's Olu, Oluwatimi. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but Ohio State's, this is a name I'm just going to throw out there for everybody to remember because I, I think this guy's going to get mentioned a few times. Ohio State's Luke Whipler, who is probably yeah, a that. perfect zone scheme Texans center. That's his specialty. That's what they think he's going to be. So he's somebody that's not good enough to go among the first and second round centers. But by that point in the draft, he's perfect for the Texans. Also, Notre Dame's Jared Patterson and Arkansas's Ricky Stromberg or a couple of other names that I'll throw out there that if you look at draft orders, those are guys that have been mentioned as potential third and fourth round picks. You know, if you think about it, Robert, as I'm listening to you go through this list, and I'm going to be quite honest with you, I'm not entirely familiar with, you know, what these guys do, um, what they look like rather on the field. But just thinking like, you know, the Texans have brought in a lot of guys on one-year contracts. They're not paying anybody a whole bunch of money in terms of the free agents that they brought in. You know, obviously they make uh, Laramie Tunsil the highest paid left tackle again at his position. But there was nothing preventing the Texans from, you know, going out and maybe overpaying a guy at what, in my opinion, is a premium position on this team, a center on the offensive line that really would have solidified it with two book and tackles, bringing in Shaq Mason and a young left guard in Kenyon Green. Like, if you make that happen, like, you're feeling damn good about your offensive line. But the fact that they didn't get Brendel from San Francisco and, you know, maybe they talked to a couple of other guys, you know, that were high up on their list – but maybe they didn't feel like they didn't need to press the envelope a little bit too much financially because they do know that there is quality center play in the draft that if you're going to spend a second round pick on one, if you're going to spend a third round pick on one, it's not going to cost you a lot of money. You've got them in house for four years and maybe according to their projections, there is that guy or two, they believe that not only fits their scheme, but can come in right now today and be the best center on this football team, better than Dieter, better than Questenberry. But they're going to give that young guy, whoever that rookie is, you know, veteran competition, guys that have been there, done that, that are going to push them, that are looking for their spot, that believe they should be starters in this league. So just thinking about that, like, I feel a little bit better about the fact that, you know, the Texans, they clearly addressed positions of need in free agency wide receiver secondary linebacker offensive line and interior defensive line what more could you possibly ask for i think it was a fantastic free agency period so far if there's a little third mini third wave before the draft i'm here for that as well but 
I feel really good about the fact that they didn't go center and maybe feel the need they needed to overpay for that guy because maybe he does exist in the draft. What do you guys think about it? What do our listeners think? I want to hear from you. Put it, put up a comment up on our YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed, do it. If you want to listen to us and you, you just uh, are on the run and you, you're like, ah, I can't watch it on YouTube, but I want to listen to what you guys are thinking. You can always go to your favorite podcast app and find us over there. And Sean, Laramie Tunsil spoke this week, had a couple interesting things to say. What caught your ear? Uh, a couple things. Um, he's a character, man. You know, he comes in and just immediately leans back in his chair, pulls the mic off the uh, stand and starts sipping some Gatorade. And says, like, hey, fire away, man. I'm here. I mean, you couldn't have seen a more comfortable, confident Laramie Tunsil. And it's really no different than the guy that we've seen for over the course of the last three years. But that was really the biggest thing that stood out to me is just here's a guy who he's so calm, cool, collected. That demeanor can be taken a certain way and can maybe even be off-putting to a lot of people, um, you know, fans and even media types. I'm one of those, admittedly, but I've kind of come to understand that, you know what? This is just the mark of an extremely confident guy. And, you know, he might go his own way, have his own way of saying things, doing things, explaining things. But you know what? If it works, it works. He's staying out of trouble. He's staying out of trouble. And he's playing at a premier level at left tackle, one of the most positions in the sport. I'm here for that. I get it. Um, the other thing that I would say is, you know, everybody has their own motivating factors, whether it be intrinsic or uh, extrinsic. Uh, motivating factors. His happens to be a tweet that he can't even recall who uh, composed said tweet or even a blurb in an article, but he's copied it and pinned it on his Twitter account that says, very good starter, period. And then, okay. Like that made him mad. Wherever he read that, maybe he invented it. Maybe nobody said that to him or wrote that about him. I don't know. But whatever manufactured chip that he has to put on his shoulder, if that works for him, then great. He talked about that a couple of different times in his press conference uh, this week. That kind of stood out to me and kind of helped me kind of piece together really the person that Laramie Tunsil is. And you better start to get to you know know him a little bit because he's going to be here for a little bit, at least the next four years with this new three-year extension. So there's that. But then also, too, I was I – was, um, Happy to hear that he is super confident and comfortable and excited even with what Nick Casario and the Texans are doing in terms of free agency. He loves the class that they brought in free agent wise, super pumped up about the possibility of getting one of the top quarterbacks in college. If it's Stroud, if it's young, he talked a lot about Nick Casario, you know, cooking and doing a great job as such. And so I'm excited that he's excited because he's a guy that, you, you know, you got to read between the lines a little bit on Robert. He's going to tell you like it is. He doesn't do too much talking. But when you asked him a very simple question earlier this week in regards to what he thinks about this team building process right now, he had plenty to say. I got no problem as long as he performs he talk and say whatever he wants to. That's all you want, Sean. However, however I will say this. One of my favorite cuts um, from Laramie Tunsil this past season was – when one of the uh, field reporters asked him during training camp, hey, so what do you think about Pep Hamilton in this offense? And he'd said something along the lines of, 
oh man, we got Pep Hamilton. We about to get this bleep rolling, you know, like super confident. And I'm like, yeah, how'd that work out? <laughs> you know, I get it. Hey, you want to have your coaches back? He ain't even played a game yet, I guess. But if I was to guesstimate, he probably didn't share that same sentiment, you know, three, four weeks, much less 14 weeks into the regular season this past year after watching that mess. Hey, I've got a little Rockets thing that I'm going to do in a little bit, but we got one more Texans thing. And I also want to remind everybody that we're going to preview the Astros season on Monday. So not not Astros right now. We're, we're going to save it for Monday. My old co-host Steven is dropping by for a, a special little visit with us and always love it when Steven drops by. So yep. looking forward to that. Um, not Not a ton of news this week with the Astros, but if there's anything that happened that we haven't talked about, it, it will be covered. On, on Monday's show. Sean, I, I got to talk about, you know, a couple of days ago, I posted my conversation with former Texans DB Glover Quinn. Lots yeah. of great stuff. So please go check it out if you missed it. Sean, I want to run a little clip from it because I loved, oh my goodness, I love this story that he tells about Andre Johnson. And here's just a little tease for those of you who haven't heard the full conversation. You know, when I first got to Houston, Dre was like a, a like a, or like a legend. Like, you know, I was on the same team with Dre, and it took me probably a month to even speak to Dre because I felt <laughs> like I couldn't even speak to him. Like, man, I can't say anything to Dre right now. Um, me and my roommate, we used to come back to the room every day and be like, bro, did you speak to Dre today? And it was like, nah, bro, not today. You know what I'm saying? He was just that, like, he had that aura about him. But he worked, he worked, he worked, man. And, you know, I remember lining up against him in practice and I didn't, I didn't talk any noise. I didn't, and he didn't either. He just went out, went to work and did his thing. You know, I remember one day I caught an interception in, in OTAs and I had returned it. And as I'm running back to get back on defense, uh, Dre sticks his hand out and like, give me like a little, a little low five. I went back to the sideline. I told my roommate, I'm like, bro. Dre doubt me up. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna speak to him today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, that's just kind of how it was. So we we basically kind of built that relationship. You know, I didn't come in just trying to be super cool with Dre just because he was Dre and I wanted to be, you know, I don't know, say I was cool with Dre. I just wanted to come in and earn my respect. I wanted to earn my keep with, with all the guys, and that's just kind of how I went about my business. I'm gonna go to work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going I'm to I'm play. I'm going to compete when it's between the whistles, between the lines. I got to compete. You know, I remember going through the draft process, and that was one thing that the coach that used to call me all the time, Perry Carter, that's one thing he used to say, you know, when he was just kind of asking me questions about the draft and stuff. He would always say, you know, if we bring you in, you, you ain't going to be scared to compete with Andre, right? Like, you know, he, you ain't going to be scared when you lined up in front of Andre. And I was just like, you know, at the and at the time, I'm I'm saying whatever. No, nah, I ain't going to be scared. You know, man, I'm ready to go. You know what I'm saying? Because I wanted to get drafted or whatever. And, you know, that first day of practice, when it actually really happened, and you line up in front of Andre Johnson, you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> All right, here we go. This Andre. I can't be scared. You know, I can't be scared. But, oh, snap, this Andre. <laughs> Yeah, that's just solid gold right there, Sean. That was great. You know, listening to him talk about, I mean, he was literally recounting how giddy he was to be around Andre Johnson, right? 
it was just reminded me of like being a kid in school and you you have this crush on a girl and you're not going to talk to her at all but if she gives you the look on the playground or something or she bumps into you and gives you a little smile or she lets you cut in front of her at the lunch line or something oh i'm talking to her today <laughs> you know it's the same thing and it's hilarious like you don't think about that like i'm thinking that it reminded me too of damian pierce damian pierce was just like I'm happy to be here, man. You know, I'm in the NFL. Like, holy smokes. Like, man, I just broke a 75-yarder for a touchdown. Like, that was the greatest moment of my life kind of thing. And it's like you wonder, like, if he's thinking, like, dude, you know, like eight feet away from me is Laramie Tunsil. And, uh, man, all the way down the line there, that's Brandon Cooks. Like, he played, you know, with the Rams on one of the most explosive offenses a few years ago. But, like, what were dudes thinking like when they were playing, you know, as rookies with JJ Watt, like undrafted free agents? I heard uh, the other part of the interview. I think it was in the early stages um, uh, when you had Quinn on where he's talking about like, man, we had some dudes like Brian Cushing and JJ Watt and Jonathan Joseph. And he's like kind of starstruck himself like that made it real. That interview you did and Glover did such a great job of just kind of peeling back the onion for us because that made it human. You know, we all think the same thing at some stage of our lives, of our sport fandom of like, man, what it must be like to put the same uniform and be in the same room or be on the same field or court as that guy that we just look up to. And the one one percenters, have an opportunity and actually get to do that. And some of them play at or beyond their hero's level. And Glover Quinn, unfortunately, didn't get a chance to reach that Pro Bowl level here as a Houston Texan, but he certainly did in Detroit when he got that nice contract and carved out a really nice NFL career for himself. So really good interview, Robert. That was fascinating stuff from Glover. Go check it out. Stories about J.J. Watt, Arian Foster, D'Amico. He was there with D'Amico in those in his early years and even yeah, D'Amico, yeah. the infamous Letterman jacket game. I even threw out that, you know, threw that out there. I, I wasn't sure how he's going to react, Sean, but he, he gave me something on that. Hey, so you I, know, he was, he was really open. I liked how you furthered the conversation too with him in regard of like, Hey, what, what happened? You know, why didn't the Texans offer you a contract? Like what's up with that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he was very forthright and, and talking about, how he kind of saw things going here with him individually as a player and looking for his opportunity in the Texans didn't seem like they really wanted to give him that opportunity. Like, you know, Jonathan Joseph or Daniel Manning had so many other really good corners that have come through over the years, but I thought Glover did a, was, was just terrific. I hope, I hope we get him on more because I just want to hear him talk some ball. I think he's going to be a really good analyst, you know, this upcoming season and would be a good guy who still lives in here in Houston, you know, takes in a lot of Texans football. I want to get his thoughts more on once these rookies and free agents really start playing. Well, he, he said he didn't take in a lot because I asked him about that. And he said, you know, he's he's covering the Lions, so he didn't get a chance to watch the Texans as much as he would like. But maybe. Well, he's watching fact, NFL, though. I mean, he knows what's yeah. going on. Yeah, the fact that they're. A little bit better. I think he might pay a little bit more attention this year, I would assume, especially with the Miko. You know? I mean, you know, who didn't tune out uh, last year? I mean, I was all the way tuned in. I mean, it was my first opportunity to go cover the team for the first time on a full-time basis in, you know, a lot of years. And so I was tuned into every millisecond 
of what was going on. But from a fan standpoint and from, uh, you know, TV anchor, you know, sports guys that don't really have to pay attention. They just kind of get the big scoop of the day and then run it about 10 different times on the local news. They didn't have to pay attention to that crap. I wouldn't have either if I didn't have to. Um, but it also makes it a little bit more special, you know, when you are a part of a team that is going through literally the worst time in its franchise history, getting a chance to see them kind of bounce back from that. You know, we talk about it all the time with the Astros, Robert. I was madder than heck, you know, not being able to watch a team that lost 111 games and 100 plus games three consecutive years because of that stupid TV deal. I wanted to watch my team. I wanted to see who the young guys were, who who were some of the guys that I could be rooting for that might be fan favorites, you know, three, four, five years down the road. And, hey, you know, we got Jose Altuve out of it. We got Dallas Keuchel out of it. We got Marvin Gonzalez out of it, you know, and a few other guys that, uh, you know, came through and actually won a World Series with the Astros in 17 that were a part of those horrid teams. So I do appreciate it from that regard. I wasn't planning to talk about the Rockets in this show because I'm, I'm to the point in the season where I was just like, oh, get it over with. I mean, I know they – they had a couple of wins last week, but I'm watching the teams that they're playing and these guys show up and I'm like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll turn it on in the fourth quarter and try to beat them. And sometimes it's, it's too late by then. Cause now you've given the Rockets some confidence and stuff, but I did tweet this last night and it's sort of gone a little bit viral, Sean. So I probably should mention this tweet that I threw out there. I said, John Morant and Darius Garland came out in the same draft as Kevin Porter jr. Why do some Rockets fans still insist on reminding everybody that KPJ is young? Why is that the excuse for his lack of focus, defense, effort, or maturity on the court? And notice I say this at the end of that, Sean, on the court. I didn't even make a thing about the off-the-court stuff because I knew people were going to go, but John Morant, look what he just did, blah, 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 blah. This is about all the stuff that he does on the court. Yeah, and of course, Twitter got Rockets. Twitter gets in their feelings a lot when it comes to Kevin Porter. And, you know, I said a couple of years ago, Sean, he's probably out of the league in a couple of years. People weren't happy about it. And that tweet went viral. And there was a, I got a lot of hate from that that tweet because, oh, Kevin Porter is going to be the next big thing. Look, you can you get on me in a year or two. If he's still around the Rockets, if he's still starting on an NBA team, but I stand by it. This guy is not a starter on a good team, on a playoff team, on a definitely not on a conference finals team or a championship team. Maybe he's a bench guy. Maybe you can afford to put him out there for 12, 15, 20 minutes on the bench for one of those teams. I still don't know if that's the case. But let me just say about Kevin Porter, there are people that like, oh, he's improved this year. A hair. But this is year four, man. This is year four. Look at John Morant, Darius Garland. I get it. There are different arcs to careers, Sean. But come back at me in a couple of years. You know, he, he might be playing in China, and you guys might all be right. He's an all-star, or he's a really good starter. But my guess is, bet on me. I've been watching the NBA for 40 years. I've been a Rockets fan for as long as I've been alive. And I want the guy to do well. This is not personal against Kevin Porter. This is just me telling it like it is and what I see. And Kevin Porter is not him, period. We've talked about this a couple of times already this season alone. And I get where you're coming from. And you're right to have that opinion. Uh, it's not a popular one amongst rocket truthers, okay? And it's never going to be, 
Okay. I mean, those are, you know, just rocket freak fans, you know, they're the red rowdies. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's the Twitter takeover, right? But um, in terms of rocket fandom, I, I just, I don't think you're that off base characterizing it like that. However, I think the key part to your tweet that you mentioned yourself is on court. And I think there's a reason and a valid one to have the opinion that you do. And it's because they're not playing competitive basketball. Their organization's not trying to be competitive. He's in a bad situation that looks like it's getting a little bit better for certain individuals, <clears throat> Jabari Smith, maybe, and thank goodness. But at the end of the day, this is a giant mess. What and is the most consistent thing about the Rockets in the last three seasons that they've been terrible besides Steven Silas, Rafael Stone, and Tillman Fertitta? The guy that's got the most minutes, that's been playing all three seasons, is one guy, and it's Kevin Porter. I get it. I get it. But, you know, he's not John Morant in that situation that he's in in Memphis. And I'm not even saying that they're equivalent talent-wise because clearly they're not. But, you know, time, place, and right situation, you know, a lot of those factors, they are very important. You know, given his personal issues that he's had off the court, look, he's with one of the guys that will literally help anybody out that needs it in John Lucas and has done so. But even John Lucas has to draw a line in the sand. And John Lucas did as much years back with Jamarcus Russell, where he himself threw his hands up and said, I can't help this guy. <laughs> I can't help this guy. John Lucas did that. Okay. And Kevin Porter Jr. still has that guy at his disposal every single day for 16, 17, 18 hours a clip. Okay. And that's just the case. But we're talking about on the court stuff. What he doesn't have is a coaching staff that is good enough to collectively be an NBA coaching staff. What he doesn't have is a very questionable architect as a general manager and an extremely questionable ownership group and head in Tillman Fertitta that for some reason is allowing a lot of this to go on. And when is it and when is it going to end? We don't know. It's just such a mess. So he could go somewhere else, Robert, and maybe flourish. But how damaged is he going to be from the four years of experience that he's had here where nobody from a player on the court or somebody on the bench or in the locker room has been able to really provide the necessary leadership on a day-in and day-out basis for a guy like that? I, I can't kill him alone completely for that. This is an organizational failure as well. And you know what? You might very well be right. Maybe it's China. Maybe it's wherever he goes and plays. Who knows? All that's in the realm of possibility because the Rockets have not just failed the young players over the course of the last three, four years, but they've failed the entire organization. Yeah. And let me just be clear. That's my feeling on Kevin Porter. I still have hope for Jalen Green. Definitely. You know, the talent is irrefutable. I still have incredible hope for Jabari Smith because not only the talent, but I, I just love what the guy brings as far as the intangibles. Yeah. And, and I definitely have hope for Shane Goon, although the defense is an absolute concern and he hasn't picked up an outside shot quick enough for my taking. And I, I just don't, I don't know how much they want to wait for four or five years before he finally gets the outside shot that really opens up everything for him offensively. And meanwhile, he's hurting you on the defensive end, but I like the character of Shane Goon. I like the character of Jabari Smith, and I love the talent of Jalen Green. 
I just don't feel like Kevin Porter has the character combined with the talent, you know, together that's going to make him a player that I trust to be good enough down the road to take you somewhere. And again, this is not personal. This is talking as a Rockets fan. Don't hate me. Just, you know, come back. You know, you can keep my receipts, keep them, and then come back at me in a couple of years. But yeah, that's how I feel. And, and I think I'm, I'm going to be vindicated on that. That's all I got. It's, it's absolutely fair. You're not going to get any pushback from me. I would just say that I've told you this before. It's extremely hard for me to judge individuals when your organization is just such a disaster. You know, and that's why I said, you know, to kind of bring it back full circle to the Houston Texans, I told you too this offseason, just last show, in fact, I think I'd mentioned this, that, hey, you know, we could talk a lot of crap about, you know, what we saw on the field this past year and really the last three years with some guys that are still in Houston Texan uniforms, still have a locker, still renting one at NRG. They might look a little bit different with a competent coaching staff. And an organization, you know, culture shift, one that is now really trying to win. And I really believe what Laramie Tunsil said the other day, a lot of it you uh, expect to hear it. You know, you can characterize it as blowing smoke, athlete talk, like, hey, we're going to turn things around. You should feel that way. But I think we all should feel that way. Uh, just look at what the Texans have done free agent wise. I mean, they've gotten some good quality pieces. And I think once the Rockets start to do that same thing, like a lot of the guys you think look crappy and don't look like fits under a certain regime because there is no leadership, because there isn't a good foundation around them. You might feel differently when there actually is. Yeah. A quick thing on the Texans, as far as, you know, judging what's going on. I think the difference between the Texans and the Rockets is the difference between the NFL and the NBA. Because in the NBA, you have guaranteed contracts. You're not playing for your job next year. The money in the NFL is not the same as the money in the NBA. The money for your average player is just way, way more in the NBA. And with guaranteed contracts, and that being the case, you know, you, you look at NFL money and it looks a lot, but check the bottom line, guaranteed money then go, well, how long is a career going to be in the NFL? Very short. Um, how many mouths are you feeding? Parents, family members, friends, everything else. Well, how much money you, you take out, agent money, all of that stuff, it shrinks rapidly in the NFL, whereas the NBA, you know, guaranteed money. And this money, you know, Kevin Porter's already made enough to take care of a couple of lifetimes with the money you know, he's made so far. I, I not to mention, too, you only get game checks. You're not getting paid year-round in the NFL. You get game checks. That's it. NBA, uh, you're getting paid. And even if they got just game checks or weekly checks, right, the season is much longer. There's more games. You know, so there's a little – and, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers are unfortunately staggeringly disappointing to see the former players in those two respective leagues – how many guys go broke, but um, the responsibility is a little bit different, you know, in the NFL versus the NBA as well, financially speaking. Um, I, you know, just thinking about it in that regard, you know, how awesome would it be if the NFL figured out a way, you know, shouldn't take that much, but, you know, give the players an option kind of like T 
teachers have the option like, hey, I can get paid just during the time in which I'm teaching for these 10 months, or I can get paid on a 12 month basis where I can get, you know, bi monthly checks. If the NFL figured out a way to do that, if they really cared about their players and making sure that they're financially secure and sound when they're done playing, if their career lasts just two years or if it lasts 12 years, make sure you're taking care of your guys the best way you possibly can spread that money around for them. I've been thinking about that for a long, long time. And I I still haven't heard anybody mention that as a possibility, but hopefully one day they can figure something out in that regard. Before anybody comes back at me, I will grant the NFL. You only have to put hundred percent effort for 17 games where the NBA, it's just nonstop every other day, every third day, sometimes, you know, every day that you're going in 82 games and, and, and I will grant all of that. But I, I, it's just, it's a fact that in the NFL, because of that, the effort's got to be there a hundred percent. You can't be lollygagging yeah. or they'll find somebody else and they'll cut you because you ain't guaranteed anything. Most of these guys, except for Deshaun Watson and a couple other guys, they got no guaranteed contracts out there. So, you know, if, if, if you're not doing your job, They'll find somebody else that can do it pretty quickly and, and, and they'll put you, you know, in a, into unemployment pretty quickly. So just, just yep. that, that, that's the difference. And, you know, if you like the sport, you like the sport, you put up with the differences and, and, the, and the issues with the NBA. Uh, one thing before we go, just real one last quick thing. We didn't talk about it on Monday as far as the Cougs go, but I was just thinking about this, Sean, and, it, it, it is a very good thing that the Cougs are playing Friday night as opposed to early Thursday because it may not mean much, but to give to give Marcus Asser an extra 24 hours might be a big thing for his uh, for his health and and for the Cougars' chances. Yeah, and you know I talked to him a couple of days ago, and he thinks uh, you know he's already pretty close uh, to 90 percent. Thinks he'll be you know. 90%, maybe not 100% by game time, but things are obviously trending. I mean, the more time with the soft tissue injury, the better for him. Not even just that, though. Um, just the fact that, hey, yeah, you're not the number one overall seed, but you're a number one seed. You were the number one team in the entire country uh, for the longest period of time this regular season. The fact that you get a chance to have your scouting department see everybody else play before and just have that much more lead time in preparation for a potential elite opponent, elite eight opponent or final four opponent, or even a championship game. You've got that much more data on those other teams. So I think that's huge as well. It is one step at a time. And that Miami game Friday night is going to be, it's going to be a very difficult one. And my number one biggest concern is just the start, just the start, because we, we can talk about health all day, Number one thing is anybody could get hurt at any given time. They're all banged up. They've all been playing a you know ton of games, you know, a short amount of time all season long. And now, you know, you've got two, three, four days time in between games at this stage of the tournament. But, you know, it's just the way that Miami started against Indiana. Getting out to that 15-3 lead, they just looked like they were going to boat race the Hoosiers. And the Hoosiers did a terrific job of getting back in that game and making it a ball game. But I worry about the Cougars' slow starts in games. Um, it's been an issue periodically all season long. It certainly can't be one against a team like Miami, who is, as Kelvin Sampson said, and if you watched a little bit of them, you know it, maybe the best offensive team that they will have faced all season long. 
join us for the live post game after the game on Friday night. And one thing we know, Sean, there's one Houstonian uh, that's not going to be rooting for the Houston Cougars on Friday night. I don't think Andre Johnson's going to be rooting for him. You know, <laughs> heck with him. Hey, you know, sometimes uh, you know ignorance is bliss. We'll just let him go on that one. All right, we want him to get in the Hall of Fame. Um, he'll have he'll to be rooting for his Canes. Here. Chris That's Myers fine. will be rooting for his Canes. I'm trying to. There's a bunch of former Miami Hurricanes that have played with yeah. the Texans. There's a lot of those dudes, and you know what? Um, good for them. But uh, you know, we're we're there's a little mojo going around. You know, the Houston Miami thing. Like Houston's done pretty good uh, over the course of the past week or so with uh, with some stuff. And um, at the end of the day, the best team shall win. And you might have the best offense, but last time I checked, you know, the best defense in the country seems to win out more times than not, and they're perfect on the road. Um, and in neutral side games. So I'm going to say go Cougs. I got them in the Friday night game, man. We'll see you guys on Friday. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Let's go!